0: My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard transmissions podcast with your host, Jason Huber.
1: Welcome back, it's Aquarium Drunkard transmissions, and today I am so pleased to welcome two fantastic guests to the show, writer Alex Papadimus and artist Joan LeMay. Together they have created a deeply entertaining new book about one of my all-time favorite bands. It's called Quantum Criminals, Ramblers, Wild Gamblers, and Other Soul Survivors from the Songs of Steely Dan. A few months back, a reader named Sarah responded to our mailbag feature, that's where Aquarium Drunkard readers send in questions and we answer them directly. Sarah asked, why does Steely Dan suck so bad? Aquarium Drunkard founder Justin Gage handled the response. Here's what he said. As one of my all time sacred cows, I love to see some old school hatred for the Dan, as they have become much too trendy of late. So thank you, reader. True sickos, Steely Dan remain as one of the more polarizing groups to ever crack the top 10, let alone snag an Album of the Year Grammy. Twisted, erudite, uncompromising subversionist to the end, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker wrap their warp in glassy cellophane sheen. The effect is either intoxicating or repulsive. There is no middle ground here and therein lies part of the attraction. Any major dude will tell you. As suggested there, the Danissance is in full swing, and in Quantum Criminals, Papadimus writes that Steely Dan might be the most 2020s of all the 70s bands. But what makes the book so great is its sideways angle into the situation. This is no boring history or staid rock bio. With LeMay's vivid illustrations leading the way, the duo welcomes us into the world that Becker and Fagin create through their strange characters. Dr. Wu, Napoleon, Peg, the expanding man. And like the band's songs, it's funny, wonky, and given over to wonderful digressions and detours. Alex Papadimas is uh, one of my favorite writers. His work in Grantland and New York Times and GQ always such incredible reads and of course Joan just does an amazing job with this book it's such a joy to read and if you're a fan of illustrations music illustrations it's got uh it doesn't feel at all like Crumb's uh, blues portraits but but spiritually somehow it kind of reminds me of Robert Crumb's blues portraits I don't know exactly how to uh to put my finger on that. But before we get into this talk, I wanted to let you know that if you're interested in supporting Aquarium Drunkard, there's an easy way to do it. We are on Patreon. By pledging your support over there, you can assure that the dedicated heads at Aquarium Drunkard are able to make sure what's on our turntables can make its way to your turntable. All right, that plug out of the way, get your Scotch whiskey ready and uh, imbibe some fine Colombian. Here's Alex and Joan on Steely Dan. You are listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions.
0: Mr. Magnificent
1: one is here. The beautiful one is here. And <laughs> <laughs> your little old pretty one here too. You know, whatever. Here is the magnificent one. The one ain't the only one. Mr. Steely Dan and whatever. Well, Joan, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Uh, It's a real pleasure to have you guys.
0: It's really good to be here. It is a joy.
1: Um, Quantum Criminals is too much fun. It's a really, really fun book, and I deeply enjoyed spending time with it. That's what we were going for. Thanks. Just joy.
0: Just spreading joy everywhere we go. (laughs)
1: That that carefree mm-hmm. band, Steely Dan, the band that has no <laughs> concerns and no uh no worries, you know?
0: Okay. Yeah. Two professors of positivity, Donald <laughs> Fagan and Walter Becker.
1: I pulled up a quote, um Oh yeah. A couple care bears. <laughs> in William Gibson's book, I distrust that particular flavor, which sounds like a Steely Dan song. Um he writes about Steely Dan and he says that his theory is when Becker and Fagin come together, they form a third. And their other, he refers to it as Mr. Steely Dan himself. It's like, it, you know, I'm not going to try to do a William Gibson impersonation because it would be fruitless. But, um, And he says that the entity proves so problematic for them. Uh, so, de- so seductive and determined a swirl of ectoplasm that they opted to stay the hell away from him for 20 years. I wonder if, in you guys creating your third, your combined thing, do you think you guys might do something together again before 20 years is up, or what do you think? I hope so. Speaking of... I hope so, too. Yes. Yes, <laughs> so. yes we, bo- we both hope for this. We yes. Yeah. It was a really natural. Absolutely. It's a really natural combination, like the 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 images and the writing work together so, so well. Um, but I I mean, how did this how did the two of you hook hook up? How long have you known each other?
0: OK, so we figured this out. Uh, I mean, we've 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 known each other in like in various uh past lives because i am a uh, former professional music critic who worked for rock magazines and back when publicists used to call rock magazine editors on the phone which now would be a sort of an un. yeah Uh, literally like uh,
2: yeah
0: Just like just just like a landline would ring and like you would you would answer it like all of this seems like, you know, it's it's all science fiction now. It's all historical fiction. Um, Yeah, like there used to be people who would call you on the phone and talk to you about, uh, you know, in my my capacity as a reviews editor at a magazine, I would get phone calls from publicists and uh, Joan was among them uh, among their, among their number. And I, you know, uh, I answered the phone probably, you know, like, uh, you know, Oscar Madison, nine times out of 10, just like, you know, (laughs) what do you want? Um,
2: (laughs) But you answered the phone, which is why I kept calling. Yeah. It's like, Hey, I'm going to cold call you about the dismemberment plan again. How do you feel?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I look, that was a good, that Uh, was a good one. I would take that So we've,
2: we've known each other. Yeah, no, I picked a good one intentionally. Uh, yeah, we've known each other um, since since those days of telephones and faxes. Yeah. Uh, I remember faxing press kits that we would put together with glue sticks. <laughs> Why am I a hundred? Why? How? Uh, every now and then what a public... This? Why is this this way? Uh, it's... it's
1: Every now and then a publicist will still call me, and it freaks me out now. Now I'm like, wait, is something wrong? What did I screw up? <laughs> I think the first time I got a publicist call, it was because I had screwed something up. Um, many, long ago. I don't make mistakes anymore now, so now it's all good. But back then, yeah. But no, that's awesome. So you guys, it go you go way back, but the idea of working together on a project, when did that sort of enter the picture?
0: Um. I had been talking to uh, our mutual friend, Jessica Hopper about kind of, uh, she had taken on this position at uh, UT Press where she was in an acquiring capacity. And she asked me, uh, you know, if you were to write a book for the American music series from UT, what could you write about? My first answer was, uh, instantly Steely Dan. That's like the only, you know, because my criteria for writing anything, for writing anything of length, like a book is, you know, is it something that I will never get tired of thinking and talking about? And Steely Dan was the first thing that I said. And I think I was actually, I I had a pitch going and I was, I had a proposal kind of coming together and uh, Hopper and I were kicking it back and forth. And, uh, then, uh, Joan sort of independently announced this other idea. Over, I guess Instagram or Twitter—I forget where it actually happened.
2: Mm-hmm. It was uh, Instagram. I'd I'd been uh, re re uh, I re jumped into the universe of making fanzines, and I'd started making a fanzine called Danzine, wherein I was going to draw every named character in the entire uh world of the band and I'd made a spreadsheet and it was like 260 some odd. Uh I think I was also planning on on drawing and illustrating every time there was or was it every named character or was it also when there was a character where it was I or me and I was then gonna imagine what that I was. Anyway, um and I, I'd started I'd started doing this and um Hopper texted me and was like, Joni, that's not a fanzine, that's a book. And she um put put, put us put us together. And then we were like, ah. Oh! And um and and thus and thus it began.
1: Had you already started drawing stuff? Did you have stuff to like send over right away?
2: I I had a I had a the cover of my fanzine and a couple of sketches, but they but that it was it was just one of those, um, things where you, uh, you start a, what's going to, you know, it's going to be a long creative project and you post something about it to keep yourself accountable. Um, at least that is something I do. And for myself sometimes, like I'm doing this thing so that I'll do it. So I'd, I'd barely, I'd barely done much.
1: That's that's awesome That's awesome. And that's a good I'm glad you posted it, because now this book, it's a look, that's it's a positive case for posting. We're a pro posting podcast now. Yes. Post away. Yes. Post cool oh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I never yeah. post about my creative projects because I, I don't want to be accountable most of the time, <laughs> especially when, the, you know, the, the, the early kind of idea stage. I want I want to be able to back out and I want no one to know about it except me. Uh, that I didn't do it, and I'll live with that. I don't, you know, that's it's enough. Um, but yeah, this is a giant fanzine, I guess. Uh, that we, it's, the, it's a very complicated uh, fanzine.
1: <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is, though, mm-hmm. it, is, it is fanzine-y in that it's just 100% doing its own thing. You guys are clearly, I mean, you're focused and writing on Steely Dan, but Steely Dan as a topic allows you access to so many other things and by sort of painting the the broad the you know positioning the band culturally and pop culturally the way you do in this book is really really great and it's and it but it's got that like it's got the loving quality of a zine right the obsessive kind of like um you know I guess music nerd is the word that people would use but I mean obviously it's a music nerd situation I mean Steely Dan is sort of one of the bands that rewards that maybe more than, than any other. I mean, I, do you, you said that this is the first band that came to mind. Do you think there's any other band that you would want to go as wide ranging on as you did with Steely Dan?
0: I mean, I think the thing about Steely Dan is I'm a music nerd, but I'm also kind of just a nerd for the past. And I feel like this was a really, they're a really good way into a, bunch of other stories that have nothing to do with them. And so I kind of like the idea of like how much can we see through the keyhole of Steely Dan. You know, so it was a chance so I ended up writing about Owsley Stanley and I and about you know, uh, G Gordon Liddy a little bit and all all of those things and it was just it, 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 the more I so the more I looked at it the more it was like oh, if you actually chase these references out and sort of see you know how they kind of then echo back into the story of you know, two guys who, you know, two boomer guys who sort of had lived through the 60s and started a band in the 70s. Like, it, it just, it seemed to make more and more sense in the way that, like, a conspiracy seems to make more and more sense <laughs> as you start putting the pieces of string on the, the around the thumbtacks. Uh, yeah, so I, it, who else I could do it on? I mean, I know the answer. I don't know if we're going to say it <laughs> I hear in you. this okay. conversation. No, I but think there's, we're going to say it but like there's a the, the thing i loved about it was that like there's not you know i mean i'm sitting in a room full of books and like half of these are music books and like i could pull out you know 10 great bob dylan books and 10 great beatles books and all of that and i i feel like the part of the appeal of steely dan is that there you know there's still i feel like the scholarship around them is still kind of in its infancy a little bit like there's not a million different takes on all of these songs in the world i kind of like the idea that like there will be more things that will come along to sort of of supersede whatever i've done here and you know be kind of the the great the the next you know somebody somebody please like beat me with the steely the next great steely handbook. book i'm ready <laughs>
1: um well i'm writing this is a perfect chance for me to announce that i'm writing a book called Godwacker. it's gonna be just uh it's a graphic novel too i'm drawing it as well it's an adaptation of Uh, Walter, Walter Becker is the, uh, yeah, the assassin and he's going to kill, kill God. Um, no, I was just listening to that song and I, I was just listening to that song. That's a joke for anybody who, some podcast listeners might be like, oh, cool. Um, but actually that's one of the only, like, all right, i I played, God whack- I played God Wacker on uh, Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard when we were doing the sort of pirate station during the pandemic. And uh, it was one of the few times that I got le- a note from somebody that said, please don't, please don't play songs like that on this <laughs> uh, radio station. Um, Wait, because it was <laughs> sacrilegious
0: or because it was too smooth?
1: I think that was the smoothness of it that was uh, that was objectionable to this listener. That
2: made it sacrilegious.
1: That's what, I mean, but I mean that is what makes Steely Dan so sacrilegious, right? Is the smoothness and the and the the sneakiness? Like, is the, they're they're always working together and feeding into each other. I mean, that's kind of a particularly goofy sci-fi Steely Dan song, even by their standards. And then it's also got a lyric about the end of history in it, which is funny because they do, they absolutely, I was shocked that sort of how prophetic they were, right? About the end of, of history and like kind of from a few decades before maybe everybody caught up, they were sort of going, yeah, this is not going to turn out well or whatever. And that was sort of their, their vibe. I think you write that they're the most 2020s of, of all the seventies bands. I think is that, is that how you put it?
0: I I believe so. Yeah. (laughs) I mean they were definitely you know it was the uh, there's a thing in there about even about the two you know the year 2000 when they sort of surprised everybody by by winning that grammy i kind of try to make the case that everybody they were up against in that category who they beat people like eminem and radiohead and uh, you know all those other you know folks that they were you know and back people that they triumphed over were all in some way building on what Steely Dan had done in the past, or they sort of represented the kind of like widespread uh, Danification of, you know, alternative music or something like that. It's a, it's a little bit, you know, there's some facetious case making in this book that I also really enjoyed doing. um, And that's, that might be one of them, but, but yeah, they just, there were also that, you know, if you're always feeling like the world is about to end, you you know, you're going to, people are going to agree with you. You're going to find people to also feel the same way. Uh, I think. So I, I feel like they're, they're the, a little bit the broken clock. Uh, yeah. but that's, yeah. yeah, but, but they were call they were calling it like, you know, like black Friday. That's a sort of like, you know, that that's the, you know, th- there had not yet been a stock market event called black Friday by that point. You know, it's like pre, you know, before the eighties and everything, they were still getting there.
1: Right. Yeah, no, they seem, they seem like they've got their eye pointed further down the line than it seems reasonable at times. Um, you also write about how you had sort of when you were younger a reflexive Steely Dan dislike or a punk reaction. Joan, was that was it similar for you? Did you have an anti-Dan phase at any point?
2: I never ever did. And the 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 in in all truth, uh Steely Dan was my first music, musical memory and my first musical love. My parents had very few records and among the records that existed at home, uh, it, it was the entire Stately Dan catalog and like six or seven other records, and that was it. And uh, so my my very first musical memory is being being tall enough to be able to put Can't Buy a Thrill on the turntable, and they have been throughout my entire life. The you know it, the the what's your favorite band? That my answer has always been Steely Dan, which is not it's not a fair question to ask anybody who who gives any level of crap about music, but it's always been true. It's never wavered, and it's always been. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, when, when you're, you know, a, a teen and you've got a misfits back patch and you're listening to pussy whipped every day and your answer is still steely Dan, <sighs> it's confusing. Um, but, but it, but it makes, it, it has always made sense to me that that is, that that is what is true for me. Um, And so maybe i've had a battle as i as i've i think any battle i've had uh with uh, uh, around them being my answer has been whatever battle i've had with uh coming to terms with myself (laughs) as i have matured as a human being throughout the course of my entire life
1: wow lifelong dan fan that is that's that's fantastic yeah Dastic. That's yeah, it's
0: midnight, sir. You're just a more, a more um, authentic person than I am. I think is <laughs> is what we've learned in in this in this process.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, I, you, I, I don't. I, I don't know. <laughs> to to be to be fair, Alex, like I know what you're talking about. The thing of like you're just supposed. It's however long ago it was that Albini posted the the Dan tweet, right? About I will always be the kind of punk that shits on Steely Dan. First off. I wasn't even remotely bothered that Steve Albini doesn't like Steely Dan. I would have maybe been a little weirded out if he had talked about how much he did. Or maybe I wouldn't anymore, because who even knows at this point? You know, like, this is all very difficult to to pinpoint. But what's funny to me is that, you know, William Gibson, obviously associated with a different kind of punk, but a very Steely Dan-friendly guy— and i wonder if there is a kind of punk element to steely dan when you think of it more on an like ideological level you know than uh than a musical one but at the same time y- you just had sort of, it was it was the sort of muzak accusation right that you had sort of hung your hat on is that would that be fair to say
0: yeah i mean to the extent that i really that it was in yeah. any way an informed Line of thought, right? Because it's mostly just it's mostly just reflexive, and you know, as you are, uh, I I, like, I feel like I absorbed and received a lot of received wisdom at a pretty young age, and and kind of you know got corrupted by reading old rock critics who you know shit on (laughs) Steely Dan, like, and people you know people sort of writing from that perspective, and I think like without really thinking any of it through for myself. And so it didn't come from it, it didn't come from some kind of authentic rejection of this. It just came from a you know a the sort of like oh that's that's the smooth music in the same way that like you were sort of not supposed to like prog rock. And I think around the same time that I started being like what's what's going on here on tales from topographic oceans? I'm going to unfold this bad boy eight times and figure <laughs> out what's you know, what's happening in there was also when I started getting the steely dan. I don't think that's a coincidence. It's when you kind of start to question the you know the things that you've always assumed about yeah. music and at first it was just kind of like, oh, I'll I'll buy this for a dollar literally like and you know check out Katie Lied and see what's happening and then gradually you're like, wait, I actually I actually like this and not only is there something else going on here on top of the smoothness that is complicating my experience of the smoothness i'm also kind of feeling the smoothness just uh, the, for its own in its own right like i'm starting to see like what's great about this and i'm starting to appreciate you know the, the like the crispness of a Larry Carlton guitar solo or, or whatever it is. Like it's so it's, it's both it start, you know, I I write in the book that like, you can't really appreciate them ironically because they are ironic. And so they start, they, they start to work on you in the, in that way. If you try to take them on, like as a, as a joke, they will, you know, bring you into the joke somehow.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a beautiful way of putting it because that's the, The common misconception, right, I think of Steely Dan is that it is gentle, you know, smooth, you know, kind of like frictionless music. I remember I was working in a record store and like even before I started working in a record store, I was buying records. Like I I did buy some Yes records and I was buying like Steely Dan records and this was you know, they, they were not considered, they didn't, there was very little hip cachet for, for Steely Dan. I guess we're talking like 2003, 2004 here, you know, is like when I'm starting to pick up on this stuff, 2005. Um, But I remember like when Wilco's Sky Blue Sky came out, one of my coworkers at the record store was like, this sounds like some Steely Dan shit. And, and I remember being like, it doesn't, this doesn't sound like Steely, this is not what Steely Dan sounds like even. Like what, because I think people have this like other view, right? And now I think people have, there's this other, there's that kind of false Dan out in the wilderness. But now because of the internet and because of the sort of memification of Dan, the Dan, there's like this whole other thing where it's like, I mean, Steely Dan is, is can be a meme Without really engaging with the music, right, or like little engagement with the music, I think that they they signify a lot more than your average uh, '70s rock band or whatever. Does that Does that make sense?
0: For sure,
2: total sense, and yeah, solos on that record are you can you could transpose those, you can very easily A B that, which is another you know glorious glorious thing it is. Looking, I, I've been listening a lot to that. Um, uh, and this is a, a slight tangent, but the um, the um, the UMO, the new UMO record five, if, which is so, so, so full of Dan. Yes, yeah. there's you know, you can go down so many wormholes. Listen, after you get into the band, uh, going back and realizing, oh, this this comes from this, this sounds like this, Mm -hmm. and traced back. Yeah.
0: I am also independently very into that record. That's weird. We have not been talking about it, but like I've been, that's, I've been sort of playing that obsessively all the time. Uh, Me too,
2: nonstop. The,
0: yeah. it, it's, it's, it's really, really good. Uh, the, yeah, the weird thing about it, you know, because I've also like we're, we're doing a lot of promo for this and some of that involves, you know, uh, some some like, uh, you know, playlist making kind of stuff. And I, I've been trying to work on this, you know, things that sound like Steely Dan playlist, you know, things that are either influenced by or, you know, just sort of like something kind of directly connected to. And it's hard because there's not, you know, you can go into the, the paradox of, of Steely Dan is that you, they, they are without them, there is no yacht rock. It mm-hmm. feels like it doesn't happen in the same way. And yet there's so little in common when you really get down to it. Like there's, it's, it's such a circumstantial thing. Like what, what like Fred Armisen and uh, John Mulaney are making fun of in, you know, the, the blue jean committee. Uh, You know, it has nothing to do with the Dan and yet everything to do with them, which is really sort of sort of fascinating. So yeah, like the memed version is it's it's several generations removed from what's actually going on on these records. Like it's not a it's, you know, because I think it's just because you can't, you, you can't. Imitate what they're doing because a it's so complicated and it's b it's played by just hitters who are better than you at music like it's so it's really difficult like I, there's a there's a Mayor Hawthorne record where like it, it, Mayor Hawthorne and Pharrell kind of get there because like those two guys maybe combined like you know can can get somewhere that sort of feels like a you know a, a, on a you know superficial level like a, a Dan level of complexity like you know can strive right. for that and achieve it
1: yeah not but only it's is hard it- yeah, exactly. And that's a that's a not only is it like world class players recording this stuff, but they're on their like 150th <laughs> take or whatever. Right. So it's yeah. like, yeah, the, the I, I they Seely Dan does feel like a band from another time in that way. It like in sort of like the studio. I know that like occasionally records still come out that sound as expensive as Steely Dan records, but they're few and far between, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like maybe maybe when Random Access Memories by Daft Punk came out, I remember listening to it and being like, ah, the songwriting's not always here for me, but damn, it sounds like, you know, it sounds huge. And that's like, or huge is not always the word, but it sounds expensive. That's just how I'll put it. And Steely Dan records always sound like that to me. This, this you brought up yacht rock and the and the yacht rock guys right jd risnar and that whole crew i mean i i remember watching those when that came out and thinking it was one of the funniest things i had ever seen i was super i was super into it but then on their own podcast you know where they further unpacked it and created hundreds more fake genre names um they struggled immediately with like steely dan almost not really even being yacht rock so what do you do you know but the connection is there i thought the chapter on the eagles was good because it also spoke a little bit to that that's not what these guys were they didn't see themselves as as that but there's very few parallels you know that you can draw directly to steely dan so yeah
0: no i mean i think any major dude sounds like a yacht rock parody before most of the yacht, most of what we think of as yacht rock existed. Like it was almost like they had already kind of ironized it. And like yacht rock is the unironic version of it where some guy was like, yeah, I really am sad on a houseboat and looking out at the sunset. (laughs) Like that's how I feel. That's what it's like. It's,
1: you know, I've seen Steely Dan live only twice. Joan, I mean, as a lifelong fan, have you seen them many times?
2: I wish I could say that I had, but I have not. Uh, I have seen them thrice. Okay, good. And that's, that's, so that's, that's something.
1: No, it's really, it's really good. How, How about you, Alex? Have you seen them live a lot? They've toured a lot over the last, I mean, obviously Walter's passed away and Donald's still touring in his, you know, stead, but they, they toured a lot in that last decade.
0: Yeah. I only saw them with Walter once. Um, I saw them do, I think I saw them do all of Asia, which is a short show, oh, cool. um, at the beacon, um, in, in New York. Uh, and then, uh, or I, I want to say, I forget now if it was Asia real scam, because then they play a bunch of hits to kind of pack it up so that it's a full, cause that's a short album. So like they play a bunch of stuff at the end to kind of pack it out. And then I've seen the sort of the contemporary version, like Donald and like, uh, Again, like a bunch of, you know, super hot players, like half his age, uh, you know, it just sort of still out there. And in a way that's almost, that was almost better because like the Steely Dan experience is not, it's not the 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 exact right people, it's whoever can play it the best. Mm-hmm. And so I think in a way it was sort of like, I, I felt guilty liking it more, but I, cause, you know, God rest uh, Walter Becker, but like, it was kind of like, oh, this is actually, it might be stronger, this might be a better show. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, I think it's cool that it's, it, it, you know, it's like the it's the the, sh, the the ship of Theseus, like if they can keep replacing, you know, anybody. And like, I mean, Walter said he would be happy if he didn't play on his own record, uh you know, while, while he was alive. That's sort of the principle of Steely Dan, that's, which is sort of what's great about them.
1: Yeah. Walt I mean, Walter is always looking to sort of vanish in various ways. You know, it's like a it's a very common theme that runs throughout. You know, I, so I saw him once with my dad. Both times I saw him, it was it was Donald and and Walter. Saw him with my dad because, of course, you see Steely Dan with your dad or whatever. Um, and then I saw him with my wife, Becky. We saw him at the, the Hollywood Bowl with Elvis Costello. And I remember thinking, what a weird bill, right? Like, what a weird pairing. And then when the show started, I was like, it totally works. It makes sense. You know, like, they're th- these... Costello isn't the same kind of musician as them in terms of, like, his dexterity, but he's a pretty good mimic of, you know, various song styles, and he's able to slip into these different, you know, guises, and lyrically kind of interested in similar-ish, you know, territory, although maybe not quite as wandering as Steely Dan. But I bring that up only to say that, like, the, the band... When I saw them both times, I got the sense of, like, this was a, a legacy act, right? Sort of, like, in its, uh, we're just gonna play these these songs kind of thing. Like, it had been already a long time since there had been any new Steely Dan music. And they were pretty, pretty clear about it with Everything Must Go, that this is just kind of, like, the, <laughs> the end of, like, new Steely Dan music. But... I got the sense that they really loved being on stage too, which is a really interesting thing because they don't have to be out there, but they are. And so I just wonder, you know, it's easy to think about them in the studio laboring over this stuff and view it as like purely a perfectionist, like crazed state or whatever. But I just wonder if you guys could talk about what you think. I mean, do you get the sense that they're having a lot of fun playing music as Staley Dan most of the time as well?
0: I just, I feel like Donald's stage banter would suggest it at least what I saw him (laughs) like, but I think there's something about, I, I, there's gotta be something about having been Steely Dan, having been kind of an acquired taste for all these years and then having this sort of, you know, like having your fan base kind of grow and grow while you kind of do nothing that (laughs) must be sort of amazing that like, now it's like a thing where it's like, you know, like to, to be in a room where, like, he somebody said half the room is like sings is there gas in the car and then the other half of the room sings yes there's gas in the car like that that's a yeah. thing that people do now it shows you know that there's all these traditions and everything and like i think he's sort of I think donald is tickled by it that's my that's the sense that i get it's like in this i was watching him you know do like it was i think it was a, it was a all request show it was one of those ones where so oh, everybody's wow. stoked to hear all these songs i'm like writing down like you know the second arrangement and like songs they're never gonna play and everything and didn't i didn't hear them but there's one moment i don't even remember what song it was but he was like hey, here's another one from katie lied hope you like it <laughs> like <as> i <if>, did like, <laughs> as if anybody's going to be like, nah, I'm not into that one. Like it's real, you know, they just get up there. the like the most obscure thing they play or the latest of speed. And like, it's just, they're just doing, doing the hits. And it's, it's gotta be like, you know, the equivalent of being Duke Ellington or something and just kind of going out there, not that Duke Ellington wasn't constantly inventing, but you know what I'm saying? Like going out there with the Steely Dan orchestra and playing with the, you know, the, the, you know, the hits for an eager crowd, just because they had so many years of, just, you know, their live experience in the 70s was so, you know, such a miserable time for them. And I think, like, you know, just that the fact that, like, stage monitors have gotten so much better since that time, I think that's a big part of it that they're, and, and the reproduction in general, they could never get what they wanted, you know, on stage. And that was the ostensible reason for not wanting to be out there on tour.
2: Yeah. And I also, wonders just psychologically in terms of you know thinking about the 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 proficiency level of everybody involved in that entire show what a what a joy it must be there must be something competitive within everybody, both w- competitive with yourself and competitive with everybody you're playing with and in a great team sports kind of way of like, <laughs> all right. Can can we have X number of shows? Which night am I going to play the best solo? Which night are we going to lock in with this? There's got to be something um, like that that happens that's joyous for everybody on stage too. I get that sense. Yeah. Because when you're when you're cooking, you're cooking, and they always they always do. Yeah.
0: Which is not to say that those like because those early shows and i think like there's one of them that was i discovered through aquarium drunkard for the first time like there's that (laughs) london amazing like london show like towards the kind of towards the end of the run but once they were like about like 73 or something where they're just on fire like that's the the weird part is that you would think Oh, they could only do it in the, they had to go retreat into the studio because they couldn't do it live and they could there are the limitations of the band that they were working with, like kept them from realizing their goals and all of yeah. this. And that it, it's like George Lucas, like sort of like I have to, you know, the special effects aren't good enough. I can't do what I want to do with the technology that's available but then you listen to it and it's fucking fire. It's so good. Like that's the, like the-
2: it's yeah. And
0: think, you know, thinking about thinking about them and Elvis
2: Costello, it's like, it's like there, I always maintain that there was no, there was no more shit hot band in the history of the universe than the attractions c- circa, you know, 70, 74, 76, whatever. Um, and it's the, the same, the same kind of like cocaine level of insanity <laughs> with the, the, like, what shows the the famous Bodhisattva
1: the Bodhisattva is what I was gonna bring up with the with the incredible introduction and yeah. then they just go out and it 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 doesn't even I think you even said in the book like they they never re- really sounded like this before that and they haven't really ever tried to sound like that again it's it's an insane it's a kind of unhinged version of Steely Dan that is not what most people would have in mind and yet it's still so tight you know so it's like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, kind of master. But yeah, that's what that's the note they go out on basically. They don't really that's the kind of the end of life for a long time at least.
0: Yeah, and I think they were, you know, like they've talked about, you know, that I think the culture of the of the touring rock band of the 70s was maybe not for them. Like not that those guys didn't, you know, especially Walter like you know on record as having partied, but like there's it, you know, I think they the band would go out and kind of have a you know wild night in whatever town they were in, and Donald and Walter and Gary Katz would play stoned stone and play Scrabble, or right. whatever. Like you know, like <laughs> like that was the you know that that was the thing that they were into. So I think there's also just a cultural thing that they were not, you know, back then, like the golden god rock dude thing was not so much. Uh, for them, but yeah, it's fascinating to think about. Like, oh, if they'd stuck with it, like what we would, what we would have, like a world where they became the Grateful Dead, and we were like, oh yeah, there's a really good the '76 Bodhisattva from you know, yeah, Medford, Oregon, or whatever it is. Like that's the that's the one because I got into that a little bit with the you know the bodhisattvas from that all the bootlegs kind of compare it all.
1: Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads. And as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. so important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Well, I'm glad you brought the dead up because they're another band that is really, they come, they, they show up often enough in the book and there is, of course, the, as you've already mentioned, Owsley, you know, the sort of direct reference, the direct connection with Kid Charlemagne, but... You refer to the well, maybe it's is it was it Chris Gow who called them the Grateful Dead of bad vibes, yes. And then and then That's you fine. you yeah you suggested uh you know a mirror universe you know kind of Grateful Dead in Steely Dan and I think that it's very interesting to compare and contrast those two bands because both have had this kind of surprising renaissance i mean i guess the dead never went away but i feel like again there's more people getting into the dead now than there have been at any point since the dead were an active concern is maybe the way to put it and i guess that's because dead and co is an active concern so there's that but still when you compare it and contrast steely dan and the grateful dead i think i think it's pretty interesting and i'd love to hear some more of your thoughts on that like when did you guys start thinking about those connections
0: I mean, I I think it was one of the things that happened was that they both there was a period, I think, where, you know, if you were a really sort of doctrinaire punk, or if you were taking your marching orders from, uh, you know, a certain kind of like rigorous, uh, you know, sort of punk ideology, you were supposed to hate both of those bands. and. It is, it's been interesting to see that, although it's like, you know, for everybody, you know, like Black Flag, were big deadheads. So it's like, there's a million exceptions to all of that. And, you know, I think that was another thing that it took me a while to kind of get around to and, you know, come to appreciate. And I think it was also growing up in San Francisco, you either were going to love them or you're going to reflexively hate them. And I kind sure. of fell into the reflexive hate camp, but yeah, I think there was sort of like the, you know, but the the Dan revival has, came sort of like on the heels of the Dead revival. I feel like, and I feel like it was like you know that there's the, the Dead had the you know like Dead culture had like online ceramics T-shirts and steely, the Steely Dan revival uh, has our our, our friend uh, you know Gordon yep. from Double Wonderful um, who makes these amazing sort of memified Dan shirts.
1: Um, yes,
2: he has the uh, the Dan fans dead fans shirt. I've, see, say, I,
1: I've seen the chart. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, Absolutely, it is. It's very very funny. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's all it's all gateway drugs. I mean, the thing that I'm really trying to take control of as we put this book out and as we have a platform in the media is, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to make NRBQ happen next. Uh, for in this, in that same way, I want all of the hipsters to really be just all over, like you know, live at Yankee Stadium and, and things like that, and trading kind of NRBQ memes, things like it's, that. It's it's ready to happen. I feel like
1: I gotta say, I think it's inevitable, and I'm I'm ready to sign up. I'll start a bootleg T-shirt company tomorrow. <laughs> NRTs cues. I don't know. I I have to workshop it, but um, yeah,
0: it's hard because we don't. There's not. There's not like the Danesans just kind of s- sort of rolls off the tongue, and there's nothing really. It's like the NRB curiosity. You know, it's I don't I don't know exactly. I, I've been I've been working on it too. It's I've been trying to tweet. I've been m- m- workshopping the tweet for months. Like how it's gonna land. whiteboard. <laughs> it's right back there.
1: I, I think NR, NRBQ is, they're so daunting, right? They're like the dead in that in that regard because there's so much of it. Steely Dan, not as much. You know, still still a substantial body of work, but like it's not as, as sprawling. They were a much more concentrated group. This is a totally nerdy question, but how far into the process of making this were you guys before you were like, or, or, or rather, was it always known you would focus on the solo records, too? I mean, or incorporate talk of them a little bit uh, throughout the book? Because I think that those offer really interesting windows into the two dudes as individuals, you know? You can get a, a much more... Were you always like, yeah, we're going to write about the Nightfly for sure, or whatever?
0: I mean, I didn't... Joan, you, it was your idea to go... I was initially not going to do two against nature. I think that was the initial mm. I was, we were talking about even just like, there's something about keeping it to those first seven. Right. That yes. was appealing to me. But then once it started, like once we started talking about it, a like, you know, Jonah done this spreadsheet and found all these characters that were in those records. Cause there are like the, the, you know, the cast gets so much bigger and there's a lot of really good additions to it. Uh, once you expand it out there um i kind of wish i'd done more with the solo records but then at the same time i like that there's that they they kind of they're they're, they're mentioned but they're i think they're, they're like because like you said i think that they do that's how we that's the best information that we have about what kind of songwriter donald was individually versus walter because everything else they did was in collaboration like you start to see like oh like donald is like that's where the nostalgia factor comes from and the kind of futuristic Thing and Walter has that sort of more hard boiled voice and it makes sense in retrospect looking back at it and I love Eleven Tracks of Whack I love the Nightfly and like you know I have like I have favorites like down the road you know for the rest of it but it, it does start to feel like a different uh, you know arc of the career and also because there's only two Walter albums and there's you know however many Donald ones it would have gotten a little you know. I think it would have it would have been a pace question I think like you want to get t- sure. to the other side of the 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 sort of the gap faster but you need to sort of you need to address it in there on some level and like night feels very much like gaucho it feels like an extension of it. it's that way that like the the la the band's last record before the guy goes solo is always you know like the last pixies record is kind of like a frank black solo album and like you know all of those things things like that so yeah I don't know yeah. it, it it feels it, it like I, I I wondered about how much to do, and I feel like there's so much as I've been talking to people. There's so much more appreciation for the solo records, especially these days. Like in you know in conversation, you know, and like there's you know people are really like familiar with them in a way that, it, that sort of surprised me. But I you know I think ultimately it came down to pace, and it came down to just getting to the the you know to the to the revival to the reunion a little faster.
2: Yeah, and we just had to have parameters. I mean, there there was there oh, were yeah. so many there were so many characters we could have um chosen and gone through in in the in the sort of core canon um but we we just had we had to narrow it down we had to make a um as as not concise necessarily but as tight a framework as we could to make it not um biblical in, in, in <laughs> proportion. Uh because because we could have, we could I mean you, you can you can keep going and going
0: and going and going. Um so yeah. Well Yeah I, I feel mean, like maybe we should have done God whacker though. We should have really gotten more <laughs> into that. Like I really I kind of <laughs>
2: I remember. I mean, we thought about it, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember why. I don't remember why. uh, Why we didn't.
1: I'm not going to lie. I went to the thesaurus and checked for that first. That was my first thing. (laughs) And I was like, okay, it's all right. This book's still going to be great. And it was Uh, (laughs) on the case. I yeah I I think
0: I I threw out stuff just because I didn't have takes sometimes I think that was the issue I think I was uh, like there were certain ones where like you know like I think monkey and your soul is a good example like that was Mm -hmm. on the list but I kind of didn't know what to what to write about that and I you know it's it's now it sort of seems like oh I could have just I could have just done that I think maybe at some point like it would have been like sort of printing cost would have gone up if we'd gone over (laughs) a certain a certain like full color (laughs)
1: cover. you know? No, I mean, and it's beautiful and it's not so overwhelming. Like it's, it's, it's like, it's definitely a, I mean, I've got my, like, I've got a copy of Alan Moore's Jerusalem over there and I've been looking at it for three years or whatever. It's like this thick and it's like, I, yeah, someday I'll <laughs> open that. I don't know. It's just too, so intimidating, you know, but, um, but yours has a nice, you know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, despite covering so much ground, it is like a, it's a quick, fun read. It's not like a, yeah, it, I don't know. that, And I think the images speak a lot to that. They're, they really are great and they're so fun to look at. I wondered, from a sense, one way that Steely Dan doesn't really compare to The Dead is in terms of sort of iconography. I mean, their album covers are, of course, iconic, but they don't have that sort of branding feel to me the way like the dead you know sort of had the dead knows uh, most bands don't have branding as like solid as the grateful deads but uh steely dan yeah kind of a a little bit less image driven in a lot of ways um i wondered how you approached them just from a visual sort of angle i mean did you what were your research materials like and 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 were the album covers something that you spent time kind of like engaging with
2: Yeah. The way the album covers show up in the artwork in the book is all of the, uh, all of the named characters have abstract backgrounds behind them and the color palettes for the Mm. abstract backgrounds correspond to the records in which the characters appear. So I pulled, I pulled from that. Um, So for, for, for research materials, it was the, these were, these were done uh, in the attic of a, of a house a rented house in in Portland Oregon during the pandemic and um and so i didn't have i would normally uh enlist friends and people to pose and I, and take photos and do, uh, but I didn't have access to the outside world. And I was going insane for a million reasons. Um, I had, I had a folder on my computer called Dan casting gallery and I filled it with found images. I posed myself for a bunch of photos and using the, like using the uh, photo booth thing on my, on my MacBook. So there are all kinds of ridiculous photos of it just for just for body poses um and I looked a lot at uh 70s and 80s sewing um catalogs and fashion catalogs and advertisements um to 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 just sort of populate this casting gallery and then when we the 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 way that we went about it Um, We had the spreadsheet and Alex and I both settled on who we thought we were going to focus on based on both who I was really excited to paint, what I was really excited to paint and who and what Alex was really excited to write about. And when those things clicked, we were like, okay, definitely we're doing this. Definitely. We're doing this. Maybe Alex has something on this and maybe, and maybe I can think of whatever. Um, And, uh, and so the then it was okay i'm looking through this this big gallery of Images and I see this person is definitely Snake Mary or my paternal <laughs> grandfather for whatever reason is Buzz. I don't know why, but he is. Right. So there, are, you know, there's there's that, and then you know, obviously the songs are populated with real humans like Kathy Barbarian, G. Gordon Liddy. Um, and it was a joy to I I I had heard Kathy Barbarian's name my my whole life, yet had never considered. I I don't think I was really aware aware prior to this project that who she was, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and researching her and being like, Oh, she's fabulous. She gets a psychedelic caftan. Um, So, so a lot, a lot of it was just out of, out of my brain. And a lot of it was, um, these, these images and thinking who's right for this part. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. Alex, were you, did you have access to some images while you were writing or were you guys working on your respective ends of the book at the same time and not overlapping quite so much?
0: Well, I mean, I think we were, we were passing stuff back and forth and kind of Google imaging things. And we were, you know, we talked on the phone every week while we were doing this and we would kind of discuss it. Uh, But, you know, usually, like I think in every case, whatever I image I had in my mind, whatever I got back, whatever I was seeing from Joan was better or different. Like that was not, you know, like not or different. It was better and different than what I would have, you know, conceived of. So I, it, was, it was almost like, you know, I, I would throw out pretty basic things here and there and then it would kind of come to life. And so then once I started seeing the work come in because Joan was working faster than me, uh, <laughs> that was... That then sort of influenced, I think, the way that I wrote about it, and I think maybe that you know the 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 tone almost in a way that I can't fully like quantify um, how that how that happened. But I I do think you know I I I love the way it came out. Uh, You know, just it was I I sort of my uh, you know my instinct was you know was right because the the you know the work of Jones that I had seen the most of was portraits, Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of love the idea of just you know that this isn't just you know, cause there's a, you know, you could have just illustrated it, but there's something about like, these people look like they are in many cases, like sitting for their official, you know, for an official portrait. And like, they are kind of making the case for themselves. And I think like that really, you know, because I didn't, you know, I don't do a whole lot of like astral projecting into the personality of these characters in, in this book. And I kind of like that the, the art kind of does that and yeah. sort of leaves me to, you know, to do what I'm better at, which is, you know, thinking about these weird connections and kind of, you know, bringing all of that out, you know? So, so I, I, I really dug it. I mean, like there were, a, there were some sort of gleeful periods where we're like, have you, have you seen this picture of Jeff Porcaro's hair
1: mm-hmm. and you know, yes. stuff like
0: that? There was a lot of, once uh-huh. we got into like the sidemen, um, and we're kind oh, of looking yeah, at what those, men. you know, which are some of my favorite illustrations in, in the book, just like these, these marvelous hairy beasts, um oh, you know yeah. backed up steely dan over the years
1: talk yeah, about I hair know. so much hair I, yeah. overall you know and yes. just like and and cool you know overalls various stuff yeah it's like these guys all look you know yeah that with that photo that's in the count and countdown to ecstasy i can't remember if it's on the back or if it's in the insert it's where the, they're the all back sit- yeah the, they're all sitting on the like the mixing mm-hmm. desk yeah they look, they look so cool. Steely Dan almost looks like they could beat you up in that photo. I mean, maybe they could.
0: <laughs> they look like they've been caught doing something like that. They're sort of the, like they're just it's there's a weird kind of, you know, that there's some, something seamy is going on. And like, you've just walked in and interrupted them, you know, in yeah. the process of, you know, whatever was happening. uh, Like, I, I love that picture. Yeah, they're not. It's weird, though, to think about them. But I think part of what's fun about this is that you're not kind of writing around a band that has like this huge visual iconography, because I love these covers, but they are, you know, they're, they're kind of weird. And, you know, it, like, in indistinct, in a lot of cases like that, you know, you don't really that, that painting on the cover of countdown to ecstasy, you have to really sort of look at it. And you can't, it's like these sort of like plastic plasticine people cloud people. Yeah. You know, so it's, you're not, you're not up against some really strong look that you have to, you know, that you're, you're going against like you're, I I, I think that was what, that's part of what's cool about it. Um, that there's, there is some blue sky to, to create things, you know, and, you know, I, I love what we got out of it.
1: Yeah. Joan, from a visual level, well, both of you from a visual level, what's, what's your favorite of the album covers?
2: I'm going to go with pretzel logic. I just love Pretzel. roll. <laughs> as a thing that existed in the world. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's their that's their most that's their most um you know I feel like that's the cover that gives you uh the most moment and yeah. it's, it's New York and it's um it's it's almost kind of like uh it could be a, a, a Zeppelin cover or something. You know, and Asia also. Uh, for sure, but pretzel logic is my—that's my pick.
1: How about yours, yeah. Alex? whats, what's mean, number one.
0: Number one. I'm just—just—I—I I might have said Asia. You know, if, if Joan hadn't, but I, I am going to go with the—you know—with—with with countdown to ecstasy for that. For—for for the <laughs> partly because it's like you know, there's that whole story about how it was originally there were only three figures, and then the record company was like. We need another two guys. You got to pay yes. another two guys yes. in there. Yes. People are you know, going to like, be confused. You're going to confuse yeah, yeah. the audience. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like that. And it's so, it's so indistinct. I mean, that's my, that's my favorite one. It's the lowest selling one. It's, but I think it's the coolest one. It's the one where they seem the most like a, like an indie rock band. You know, it has yeah. that whole, it has that feeling. It's the most like, if I'm, you know, if anyone's listening to this, who's you know not familiar with this catalog, and I think if you're an aquarium drunkard type of person, but you don't know these records, I would start with Countdown, which has yeah. so many strange things going on in there. And there's you know King of the World that I, I, I that sounds like dots and loops. Like it's really like I I, I, I that that I think is you know the, the 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 funnest one for a you know certain type of person you know. Mm-hmm
1: yeah absolutely i think i would pick asia probably but the nightfly is a really evocative cover too that's a great album cover i love love how personal that one is and i know it doesn't count as a steely dan record but still and also the 11 tracks of whack cover is now that i mention it just a blurry photo of walter um that's a really that's really something Well, before we wrap things up, I was really excited to see, of all, there's a lot of things I loved about this book. I really love that you guys have an Amy Mann quote on the back, because when the whole Amy Steely Dan tour thing was going to happen, I was like, this rules, this is the best combination to literate you know entities that are gonna be so awesome together and then i was really bummed with all like the back and forth but like seeing seeing her blurb on this i was really psyched because i felt like there was some weird justice served in some strange way she got to she got a word on on i mean she already had a lot of words on steely down but you know what i mean
2: yeah, and she and she and Don are at peace. They've yeah. they've corresponded, everything's good. Amy's a Amy's a buddy of mine. And um, so we were really, really glad that she uh that she got to uh that she that she agreed to 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 blurb it. Yeah. Um yeah, she's so brilliant in every single way. She's working, speaking of uh artists too, she's working on a, a graphic memoir. Right now, I don't know if if uh, everybody knows that, but and she did. We uh, just
1: get a scoop on Aquarium Drunkard transmissions.
2: No, no, she talked. No, she talks about it um, on 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 Instagram. Okay, Um, and and, um, yeah, and posts. uh, She makes comics, and I got I saw her last time I was in New York. Actually, she was in town. And we made a comp. We she was like, "Do you want to do a comic jam?" I was like, "Yes, I do." And we sat down. And we made a comic together. That it needs to be. I think she's going to ink it and put it on the internet at some point. But um, well, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, that's 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 fantastic. And like I said, the book was great, and it was so much fun getting a chance to talk with the two of you about it. Um, it's clear that it's a a, a work of love and. Um, and a work of scholarship, and a work of cultural history. So it's, it's, it's everything you want in a music book. And uh, I really enjoyed spending time with it. And I really enjoyed getting the chance to talk with the two of you. Thank you for doing it. So nice Thank
0: to Thank you here. so much for
1: having us. Thanks for being with us once again. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Our music comes from Frank Mastin, drawn from his discography of gorgeous library music. You can find more of it by visiting mastin.bandcamp.com. Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his radio program, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU, channel 35, 7pm Pacific Time, every Wednesday. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse podcast network. You can visit the TalkHouse for more fascinating reads, interviews, and podcasts. Quantum Criminals is available wherever you get books. I recommend you try to find an independent bookstore to grab a copy. Um, If you can do that, I'm sure that would be appreciated by all involved. Next week on Transmissions, we'll be back with another University of Texas Press author, Allison McCabe, who joins me to discuss why Sinead O'Connor matters. I hope you will join us. Stay safe until then. This transmission is concluded.